0: Welcome to the Cross Loganville podcast. Today, we are in our December sermon series, Advent, The Anticipation. Hey, good morning, good morning. Welcome to the Cross Loganville and Merry Christmas to you. I pray that you have an incredible, just incredible time with your family and loved ones over the next few days. And uh, I was thinking about my friend, Tanya. Tanya. Her husband, Benji, one of my best friends, passed away, and it's been a first, right? First walking into the holidays and kind of trying to figure out uh, a new norm, a new rhythm, which she don't want a new norm or a new rhythm. I think about my wife, Barb. Her dad passed away just a few weeks ago, and so I know holidays can be uh, very tough times. It can be a lot of time of grieving and a lot of time of pain and sadness, but I pray that you would really experience the goodness of God even in the midst of your grief. And so I'm so glad to see you today. And I'm so glad that we can open the word and uh, dive in and kind of contemplate the beauty of what Christmas is all about. If you're visiting, we're so glad to have you here. One of the easiest ways to kind of connect with us is to get on our website, thecrossloganville.org. You will find a guest card, connect card there. You'll find previous sermons Uh, We utilize the Uversion Bible app. All of our sermon notes are uploaded there. You can follow us throughout uh, a message as well as throughout the uh, month and even throughout the year. Uh, We'll do one service next Sunday. We'll we'll have an uh, 11 o'clock kind of year-end wrap. And then in January, I'll launch a new series that I've titled Why? And we're going to look at why do we exist? Why is Jesus the only way? Why does God allow suffering? So we come out of what? We're going to go into why. I would love uh, to invite you to be a part of that, okay? So again, Merry Christmas to you. And uh, kind of the popular cultural phrase is what do you want for Christmas, right? That's what we got introduced to even as kids, And the emphasis has always been on you. You go sit on Santa's knee, and when you sit on Santa's knee, just tell Santa what you want. Because Christmas really is about you, and Christmas really is about you being satisfied, and Christmas is about you getting what you want, or is it? It's amazing to me that even the cultural emphasis of Christmas has bled into how we view God. We really have concluded that God exists for me. I I say a random prayer occasionally and when I tell God what I want, God must come through because God, he exists for me, right? And then when God doesn't come through the way you want Him to, the conclusion is something's wrong with God. It's not wrong with me, it's wrong with God. When my daughter Rachel was four years old, it was the week before Christmas, and Barb had asked me to go to Target. We were living over in Dekula at that time, and She asked me to make a return to Target, and so Rachel and I went there, and finally our time came to step up to the counter, and I gave the lady the item, and I'll never forget, as the exchange was taking place, she looked at Rachel, and she said, Honey, what is Santa gonna bring you for Christmas? Rachel looked at the lady, and then Rachel looked back at me, and the lady looked at Rachel again and said, Honey, What is Santa going to bring you? Again, Rachel looks at me. The lady asked it a third time. And I looked at the lady and said, ma'am, he who does not exist pays no visit. This holiday is not about her. It's not about our son, Benji, who's at home with his mom. And then we would have Jesse, and then we would have Hannah and Caleb But it's not about me. Christmas is not about you. It's never been about me. It's never been about you. It's always, always been about Jesus. We don't celebrate Tim Mus or Nick Mus or Teresa Mus or celebrate Christ. Mus. We exist for him. Even when we read in Scripture that this is the day that the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. Why are we to rejoice in this day that the Lord has made? Because he made it for him. The world is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. Everything that exists, it exists for him. So the question, the question is not, what do you want? That's the wrong question. The deeper question is, don't miss this, is what does the Lord desire from you? What will you give the Lord? What will you do to bless the Lord? It's not what can I get, it's what can I give. Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the question has to be how can I bless the Lord? Because because even for the believer or those who claim to be believers, if we say that we have received the gift of salvation, the free gift of salvation, which implies you couldn't earn it, you don't deserve it, it was totally by grace that God would even be that benevolent to you. you, you received it. I've received that gift for God so loved that he gave because that's the heart of the gospel, right? When we pause and contemplate the Christmas narrative, Dean, what we're contemplating is this, is that there is a loving God that created the worlds and everything that we see. And because of the brokenness and depravity and sinfulness of humanity. Some 2,000 years ago, he clothed himself in flesh, and the holiness of God, heaven came to earth, and he walked these dusty roads for some 33 years, and he would willfully die a murderous death on the cross, being crucified, and praise God, on the third day, the glorious resurrection would happen. God so loved that God gave... What will I give? What will I give the Lord? What will I do in the posture of my heart and with the way I live, what will I do to be a blessing to God? David, the shepherd king, the psalmist, he struggled with that question. In Psalm 116, he poses the question, what can I give the Lord for all he's done for me? What can I give God? You know what he says? I will lift up the cup of salvation. I will praise the Lord's name for saving me. I will keep my promises and the vows that I've made to the Lord. I I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to lift up the cup of salvation and say, thank you. I'm so grateful, so humbled, so appreciative. You, You have my affection. What can I give the Lord? Will you give him praise? Will you give him worship and praise from your lips? Will you? Bow with me. Father, we stop even now and we have a posture of praise in our hearts. Let every that has breath, we have breath in this room. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. I challenge you sitting here right now to stop and to tell God, thank you for making me in your image. Thank you for redeeming me with the blood of Christ on the cross. Thank you for sending forth the Holy Spirit and depositing Christ in me through the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you stop and just praise God and give thanks to the Lord? What will I give the Lord? I will give him praise. I will fulfill the promises that I've made to the Lord. Father, I pray that our hearts would be open open for you to deeply penetrate them even right now. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. When my son Benji preached last week, he, he asked the question, what is the greatest gift that you've ever been given? Dad would ask the question this week, what is the greatest gift you've ever given? God so loved that he gave his only begotten, one of a kind, nobody like him. Son, what is the greatest gift that you've ever given? And then what is the greatest gift in your heart that you've not given on the horizontal, relationally, earthly speaking, but vertically to God? When we read the Christmas narrative, we see angels worshiping, we see many worshiping, but we see these magi wise men, these brilliant philosophical astrologers introduced to us in Matthew 2. And it says that when the Magi, these wise, brilliant astrologers, saw the child, he was already two plus years old, when they saw him, they fell down and worshiped him then opening up their treasure they gave him gifts of gold of frankincense and myrrh it's crazy the magi these guys are brilliant they have seen this star at a distance and they gravitate some 500 miles from where they were geographically and they keep following the star And it takes them months upon months upon months of travel. And when they get there, because of the star that they saw, they bowed because of the star that he was. 500 miles of travel. Here would be the question Are you willing? to be inconvenienced to follow Jesus. Are you willing to be inconvenienced to worship the star, Christ the King? It amazes me, Jeff, even in our culture, people don't wanna give up 30 minutes of sleep to corporately worship. They don't wanna drive 10 minutes in rain These guys went 500 miles. We know that God has clothed himself in humanity. We've got to get to him. Are you willing to be inconvenienced to worship the king? Are you willing to allow God to inconvenience your life so that he becomes preeminent in everything that you do? then you have to ask the question, why did they bring the gifts that they brought? Why would they bring gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Gold, why would they bring that? It is a gift of the king, it is a gift declaring royalty, it is a gift declaring Deities, so when they bring this gift and lay it before Jesus, they're saying, you're God in flesh, you're deity. We know exactly who you are. You've been sent from heaven. These men are acknowledging you're the coming king, the one that's been prophesied about for hundreds and thousands of years. You're the king. When you study the pages of Scripture... The theme of the Old Testament is failed kingship. The nation of Israel begins to beg and ask God for a king. And in 1 Samuel chapter 8, God goes, you want a king? You want to be like the other nations? I'll give you a king, small cake king. And Saul becomes the first king. And he fails. He compromises with God. David then is anointed king. David is walking in the ways of the Lord. Then he hijacks it royally, right, with Bathsheba having her husband kill. But then he repents, and the scripture says he became a man after God's own heart. But then you pick up the pages of Solomon and all these others that would come on the scene, and it's one failed king after another so, when these guys arrive, they realize that the one laying there, Josh, will never fail. His kingdom will have no end. Isaiah has prophesied his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, and his kingdom and his rule will have no end. They bow and they bring him gold. Gold was the most precious metal of that time and even still with us today. And gold is a declaration of worship. We're bowing before you as as king. And what they were saying is, you are to be valued above everything. Nothing should rival who you are. You're to be valued above all. Then they bring frankincense. And frankincense, if you study it, the worshipers in the Old Testament used frankincense. It was a, a very, very pure incense. And so what they would do is mix this frankincense and their candles and even the high priest, only the high priest that could go into the Holy of Holies, he would light the candle of incense, frankincense, this purity before God. Sin could not enter the presence of God and the aroma from the incense would go into the heavens and it was a gift of worship. And we know who you are. Even though you're only two years old, you're not only king, but you're the high priest. And we have a high priest with the Father who lives to make intercession for us. You're the high priest. There will never be another high priest. We're recognizing you. You're the only one that can go before the Father. Eventually, you're going to give your life. And you'll be the way, the truth, and the life. And God will not dwell in buildings made with human hands anymore. You're going to be the way. So they bring him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And myrrh was used from a medicinal standpoint. It was used in various medicines as well as it was used for burial. And Joseph... Arimathea, when he shows up, even the Gospel of John captures this, that he shows up after Jesus has been crucified on the cross and his body is dead and he asks for the body and when he gets the body, he bathes the body with myrrh. It was a statement of embalming him and what they were saying is, not only are you the king of the kings and lord of the lords and not only are you royalty and deity and not only are you the high priest, but we know who you are. You're going to die a sacrificial death. When we've come to worship you, you're the Lamb of God that will take away the sin of the world. And they fell down on their faces and worshiped him. Do you know him as King of Kings? Do you know him as the ultimate high priest? Do you know him as the sacrificial Lamb of God? Do you know him? And do you, do you worship him with everything that you have? What will you bring him? What are you bringing him right now? What what, what are you going to give him? Will you sacrifice it all? Romans chapter 12, verse 1, looking at the New Living Translation, the New American Standard. Listen to what Paul writes. My brothers and sisters, I plead with you. Give your bodies to God. Heart, soul, mind, and strength, everything. Give your bodies to God because, because, because of all that he's done for you. Don't hold anything back, Caleb. Don't hold anything back, Rachel. Don't hold anything back. When you think of the God that has made you, look at all that he's done for you. Give him your whole body. By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Give them your bodies, how are you gonna give, it's alive, it's got breath, it's got a pulse, I'm giving you, I'm giving you everything I've got. Why, Why am I giving that to you? Because that is my spiritual service of worship. What's worship? Worship is when Nick leads a song, Teresa leads a song, and we sing along. That's worship. No, that's singing. Worship is when you lay yourself before the Lord as a sacrifice, and you don't hold anything back, and you eliminate all rivals, and you go, here's what I'm giving you. I'm coming back to you with a heart of worship. What am I going to give him? What what? what what am I going to do because of all that he's done for me? Am I going to give him my very best? Am I going to give him my all? Does he have permission to use me at any time to declare his goodness to others? Am I going to live with open hands? Am I going to be a good steward of my resources of my time, talents, and treasures? Am I coming to the Lord saying, whatever you want to do in me, whatever you want to do to me, whatever you want to do through me, I'm a living sacrifice. I belong to you 700 years even before the birth of Christ God gave the prophet Micah a strong message for his people if you do a biographical sketch on the life of Micah Micah was a country boy from just outside of Jerusalem He's my kind of dude when you start to study him. He lived at about the same time as Isaiah and Hosea and some of these other prophets. And when you read the book of Micah, he was a straight shooter. He was a no-nonsense kind of personality, straight to the point. He was a truth teller. He was my kind of dude. I identify with Micah. like him. And Micah lived in a day that's not much different than the day in which we live, There was tension going on. When you study it, there were tension going on at that time with other nations. There was a lot of religious corruption. We see that happening. A lot of moral chaos. The morality was all hijacked. And Micah, he had a heart for God, but he, he loved the common man, and he, he really struggled with corrupt politicians. I think I'm speaking to some people that... Appreciate Micah. And he challenged the religious and political leaders of that day that were abusing their position and power, that were taking advantage of the common man, the underdog. He, he, he challenged them, repent. God is about to bring forth his judgment on this nation, and you need to repent. That, that's the message of, of Micah. Man, I like how straightforward he is. He loved God. He cared about the people, and he wanted to see them get it right. He didn't want to see them stay lost. He didn't want to see them stay in a confused state. He wanted to see them get it. And in Micah chapter 6, starting in verse 6, the people, after Micah has rebuked them and said, you better get it right, almost in mockery, they look at Micah and they said, so what, what, what can we bring the Lord? We're supposed to repent. We're supposed to get our lives right. What 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 can we bring? Does God want burnt offerings? Should we bow before the Most High with offerings of our young calves? Should we sacrifice them? Spill their blood? Is that what God wants? Should we bring 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Is that what we're supposed to bring? Should we bring our firstborn son and sacrifice him to pay for our sins? Is that what God wants? It's like, what, what, what are we supposed to bring God? God wants something from me? Yeah, he does. But he's like, that's, that, that's not what God wants from you. God doesn't want your stuff. God's never wanted your stuff. He wants your heart. He's never been interested in what your stuff is. It's so interesting to hear people's observations and comments that will attend church rarely say, Well, I don't like going to that church because all they care about is your money. Really? Really? God wants your heart. God gets my heart, He gets my wallet. If God gets my heart, He gets my language. If God gets my heart, He gets what I drink. If God gets my heart, And that's the emphasis here. God doesn't want a bunch of religious stuff. He doesn't want this superficial nonsense where you paste it for maybe 80 minutes a few times a year when you show up. That's not what he wants. He wants your heart. He wants your affection. He wants your allegiance. He wants your worship. What do we worship? Whatever we give our hearts to. Whatever we value the most. Even the psalmist would say in Psalm 50, starting in verse 7, listen to this. Oh, my people, this is God speaking. Listen as I speak. I am God. I'm your God. He's talking to the Israelites. "Do, Do you not realize that I'm God? I made it all. Do you not realize that I'm God? And I'm your God. You you, you claim to be my people. I do not need, need is a human word. I don't need the bulls from your barns or the goats from your pens. I don't need that. You know why I don't need it for all the animals are mine. I own the cattle of a thousand hills. Who created the cattle? I did. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. Why? Because all the world is mine and everything that is in it. Those things that you think are yours, I created, they're really mine. I can tell you at any given moment, give me back my breath. You're worshiping the created and not the creator. You're pursuing the stuff I made instead of pursuing me. Listen to what he says in this psalm. Make thankfulness your sacrifice to God. And give him glory. You griping about something? Your life sucks. Nobody's life sucks as bad as yours. You've got it bad, right? I mean, your life is terrible. Really? Do you have breath? You've got breath? And you're telling me that the God that would make you in his image, that would love you enough to crucify his son on the cross, to spill his blood, that would dump his Holy Spirit and say, I want you to be a recipient of my power, that you cannot posture your heart and say, I'm thankful. I deserve death. I deserve eternal damnation and separation from you. You can't give him thanks. You can't. What are you going to give the Lord? So, God, you created everything with a spoken word? Yes. I opened my mouth and said, let there be, and there was. So, you have unlimited resources? Unlimited. You have no needs? I I have no needs. So, all this stuff that I've become consumed with at times belongs really ultimately to you? It it belongs to me. So, what should I do? Tim, I mean, that's the question. What am I going to give God? What's the greatest gift I can give? And he goes, I tell you what, you do. Why don't you sit? Not for seconds, not even just for a couple of minutes, but why don't you sit and lean back, maybe late this evening, and look at the galaxies that I've created. And as you look at the galaxies I've created, why why don't you just sit in awe of the salvation that I would even extend to somebody like you? And when when, when you're done sitting in awe and amazement and incredible reverence of me, then why don't you stand and recognize how powerful I am? Even the piece of dirt that you're standing on, I made. Even the air that you're breathing, I made. Even the galaxies that you're lost in, I made. I was looking out the window this morning at 4.15, and we live out in, in kind of the country, and there's no streetlights. And I was looking, and I was like, God, you made the moon. Yes, Look at the beauty of the moon. Yes, you made it. If you're going to get up at 4 o'clock, you might as well look at something God made right? Like I got to get on the elliptical here at five. I don't want to be late. So I got to work out. Got to get the blood flowing. I'm really pumped to meet with our people today and share the hope of the gospel. You made that. You made it. Why don't you give me glory? Why don't you present an offering of praise and sacrifice to me? Why don't you do that? You you wanna bring your stuff, it doesn't work. Verse eight of Micah six says, oh man, listen to this. Oh man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? You wanna know what God requires? Do justice, love mercy and kindness and walk humbly. Because you value God above all and because you say that you value Jesus more than anything, I can tell you what gift you can bring to the king. A deep spiritual commitment of the heart that will reflect and show itself in action. What happened to you? God got a hold of my heart. I brought my heart, job, Mark, to the Lord and said, you know what? I've been withholding and I don't want to do that anymore. So I'm coming to you with a heart of worship because wherever my heart is that's what i'm going to treasure and my heart has been fixated on the wrong thing now my heart belongs to you i'm trusting in the lord with all my heart i'm not leaning on my own understanding oh what'd you give him i gave him a deep reverent spiritual commitment on my heart and it's changing my behavior so the gospel changes you from the inside out it, it does you know what the word "do justice" means it means why don 't you do what is fair and even beyond fair to your neighbor why don 't you treat others the way you really want to be treated but why don 't you even go a second mile and treat others even the way Jesus treated them why don 't you love your neighbor as you do yourself and, and and love your neighbor like Christ does and I remember studying through this going, what do you want what is good what do you require?" He goes, do 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 justice, be just, which really implies, why don't you hear all sides of a case and argument before you render too quick of a verdict? Why don't you sit back and chill and, and, and listen and go, just listen to them. They're people, that, they're created in my image and people want you to pick a side. Don't pick a side. Be just, represent my heart. Just listen and love them. Like that, that's what you want me to do? Yeah. I want you to love kindness and mercy, which means I want you to be compassionate. And I don't want you just to show mercy. I want you to love to show mercy. I, I don't want you to say, I showed mercy reluctantly. I want you to love to show mercy. What is mercy? It means extending. The compassion and the kindness of God to those who are living in misery. So that dude strung out. You want to judge him. You want to bring down judgment and justice on him now. Why don't you love him with mercy and kindness? Why don't you extend compassion and kindness to him? He's in misery. Remember when I extended compassion and mercy. To you when you were living in misery? You remember when you were so lost that you thought, man, I'm going to bust hell wide open? Yes. You remember how I came to the the utter pits of darkness and pulled you out of that miry clay? You were sinking. And remember when I picked you up and set your feet on the rock? You remember when I did it for you? Yeah, yeah I do. Why don't you... Sh- Love your neighbor, that dude, that person with kindness and mercy. The emphasis is devoted love. It appears over 240 times in the Old Testament. And God has been reminding these people over and over again, do you not realize how devoted my love is for you, how tender my compassion is? I'll continue to extend this to you. That's how God views you today. That's how he views you. That's how he views me. And as a result of doing justice and as a result of loving kindness and mercy, the posture of your heart's going to be, you're going to walk humbly. Humility. Ah. Humility is having a right view of yourself because you've got an accurate view of God. You you won't have a right view of yourself if you don't have an accurate view of God. Hannah and I were talking about this the other day. My daughter and was just talking about this whole thing of trying to understand and identify my identity. And I said, listen, listen, listen. You cannot find your identity apart from the Lord, the more you get to know who He is, the more you'll start to understand how he's made you. He's the one that made you you were made in His image you're an image bearer of God so you don't start this quest of self-discovery on the horizontal trying to figure out who am I? You started on the vertical who is he? And when you find out who he is and you start to walk. With him, he goes, you're going to walk with a humble posture. Jesus, we we stop, we pause, we contemplate the Christmas narrative, and I wrap you with this thought. We're stopping to say, "This, this is the birth of the king. We're celebrating the birth of the king of kings, royalty, deity, the high priest, the sacrificial lamb, who were who, who you, Jesus? Matthew 12, 18. Jesus' ministry. This is what we read. And he will proclaim justice to the nation. The one Teresa that is going to be as just and more just and extremely just than any human ever, the 100% God man, he's going to, he's going to proclaim justice. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Mary and said, hell favored one, you you found favor with God and you're you're a virgin girl, I get it, but you're going to become pregnant and inside your womb, the father is going to place, the Christ. And you're going to give birth to this baby and you're going to call him Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us and you're the one. You're you're the one that's going to have this child before Jesus is born. Listen, listen, listen. Mary's song right at Jesus' birth. Luke chapter 1. Listen to this. Luke chapter 1 verse 50. This is what Mary sung. His mercy his mercy extends to those who fear him. What's good? What does God require? Justice, mercy, humility. His mercy extends to those who fear him. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. This is the heart of the gospel. He came to establish Justice. He came to show loving kindness and mercy, and he came to lift up the humble. What are you going to give the King? As you walk through the remainder of this day, what are you going to give Jesus? Don't don't get lost. Don't get lost on Amazon. Don't get lost at the stores. Thinking, I'm going to buy the greatest gift for my child. Think of what is the greatest gift you can bring the king. If if we all had that posture of heart, I'm bringing my best. I'm bringing worship. I'm bringing the sacrifice of praise to you and gratefulness and thankfulness, Lord. I'm bringing it to you. You're worthy. We wouldn't get lost tomorrow. And wrapping paper and boxes and bubble wrap, we 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 wouldn't get lost in it. It's like, shh, what are you bringing the Lord? What what are you going to bring the Lord? You're going to bring him an attitude of thankfulness, not occasionally, but that's going to be the posture of your heart where you live continually. I'm bringing you thanks. Let's pray.